Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and I just have to say that I know it's been said, but Brother Trey did such a fabulous job this morning in our adult Sunday school class, amen, talking to us about the faithfulness of God, that God never changes, amen, that his word is sure and it's true, and that his love never fails, amen, that somebody here, the devil might be telling you that God doesn't love you because of your failure, well, the devil, if the devil's talking, he's lying, but I'm going to tell you, no matter what you've done, how many times you've done it, how far you've gone. It doesn't mean that God may not correct you to get, get you back where you need to be, but He loves you. Amen. He loves you no matter what you've done. His, you cannot separate yourself from the love of God. Amen. God is always going to love you. Amen. Great teaching this morning, Brother Henderson. Luke 23 and 11. And Herod with his men of war sat him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and send him again to Pilate. The Bible says the same day, everybody say the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together. For before that, they were at enmity between themselves. Before that day, they couldn't get along. But that day, they became friends. Move down to verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, everybody say that same day, they came to the place which is called Calvary. And there they crucified Jesus and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Amen. The same day that Pilate and Herod became friends is the same day that they crucified Jesus. I'm going to preach today for just a little bit on this thought on the final Sunday of 2020. Deadly companions. Amen. Deadly companions. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. Throughout history... There have been al evil allies and devious duos. These joining together of persons that as long as they were just individuals and separated from one another, they were perhaps problems and perhaps difficult to deal with and difficult to get along with. But for the most part, as long as they were distant from one another and separate from one another, they were innocuous and nothing to be feared. But when those two individuals came together, when those, some of you might feel that way when your two children get in the playroom together. And as long as they're in different rooms, everything's all right. But if they're ever in the playroom together, bad things are going to happen. When those two individuals come together, the combination of the two become diabolic and deadly. Just a few of these corrupt companions that we would find in history, Bonnie and Clyde, who, when they were individuals separate from one another, they really weren't that big of a problem. They had some little misdemeanors here and there. They had some charges that, that I think Clyde had spent a little bit of time in jail for, but, but nothing really serious. But when the two got together, they pillaged and they plundered, leaving in their wake a path of theft and murder. Together, Bonnie and Clyde were responsible for killing 14 officers of the law. When the two came together. Out in the wild west there were diabolical duos. The outlaws Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Or Frank and Jesse James. Who were notorious for robbing banks. Holding up trains. And simply wreaking havoc in every town and city that they entered into. Not long ago. Not very far from where we stand today. It was the D.C. snipers. John Muhammad and. John Lean Malvo, that again, as long as they were individual, when they were just individuals, there really wasn't that big of a problem. But when they came together, there was something about the combination of these individuals that when their personalities combined, that all of a sudden what was innocuous and innocent all of a sudden became deadly and diabolic when they came together. In these cases, and many others that I could 
recite from history, it is likely that independent of one another, not much evil would have been enacted. But when they came together, it was like fire and gunpowder. It was this combination that came together. I don't remember the chemicals that were involved in the process. I just remember in, in school, every year we would have a science fair and somebody was bound to make a volcano. They were going to make a volcano. I think that was kind of the easy way out of the science project. I don't remember what went into the equation, but I know that there was some substance sitting down inside the volcano, and then I think vinegar might have been poured inside of there, and when those two substances came together, and some of you are remembering blue ribbons you got for, for making your volcano, or dad making your volcano, as the case might have been. But those combinations, when joined together, and this morning I want to look at the passage of Scripture in the book of Luke chapter 23, to look at two figures in the Bible that are more than just historic shadows cast upon this moment of time that we find not only in Luke, but in the other Gospels, this account of the trial of Jesus. But these two figures that we're going to look at, yes, we're going to look at their historic significance, but more than that, I believe that they are types and tendencies of natures that are existing within each of us today, that if they ever come together, if ever these two tendencies that we struggle with in our walk with God, there will be seasons. And what I'm going to preach to you today, not anybody in here, if you're honest with yourself, will be able to say, I've never dealt with that. I've never had to struggle with that in my life. Everybody here has struggled in these two areas that I'm going to preach to you from the Word of God today. It's not whether we struggle with them independently of one another, but when they come together, Symbolic of struggles of the inner man to submit to the will of God. I even know that's a struggle. If you think you've got it down, you're wrong. You don't got it down. It's a daily battle. Paul said, I've got to die daily because this isn't a one-time thing. You don't one day decide, I'm going to do the will of God and that's good for the rest of your life. No, it is a daily decision. And some of you, the reason that you're failing this is because the devil lied to you and told you that it's a one-time experience. It's not a one-time experience. It's a, a daily occurrence. It's a daily decision that you make that I'm choosing to follow Jesus and I'm denying the lust of my flesh. Amen. They, they are symbolic of struggles of the inner man to submit to the will of God and fully apprehend his purpose for our lives because you can't do both. You, you, can't, you can't appease the flesh and apprehend the will of God for your life at the same time. It's one or the other. But independent of one another, these two areas of struggle that I'm going to mention today, independent of the other, they are certainly a struggle. Just like Bonnie was, was a bad woman before she met Clyde, and Clyde was a bad dude, but they really weren't that big of a problem. And so it is that these tendencies within each of us, they are a problem independent of one another. But when they come together, if ever these two tendencies and struggles come together to form an alliance in your life, they will put Jesus on trial in your life, and the end, the end result will be the destruction of God's purpose and plan in your life. If I could just put it this way, if ever they come together, Jesus will die in your life. These two men, Pontius Pilate and Herod the Great, verse 12 tells us that before this day, they had not been friends. Anybody ever had somebody that, for years maybe, you just didn't get along with them, but all of a sudden, you went through something, or you... Something came in common in your life, and all of a sudden, they, somebody who had not been a friend, all of a sudden, it's like, they're, where have they been all my life? How did I live without this friend in my life? That's what happened with Pilate and Herod. The Bible says up until this day, they had enmity with one another, some sort of variance or disagreement. I don't know what it was. Perhaps it was just political differences. I don't know. What I do know is the Bible says up until this day, there had been some distance between them. Before this day, the two would not be found in the same room together. That they had little in common and cared little for one another until this day. So let us begin with the brief investigation of Pontius Pilate. We'll look at it from a historical standpoint so that we can find the symbolism of what it stands for in our pursuit of the will of God in our lives. From the various accounts of the trial of Jesus, 
As Jesus stands before Pilate, we find various statements and actions that lead us to a general understanding of the role that Pilate played in this unfolding story that would end in the crucifixion of Jesus. First of all, we summarize these statements from the different accounts of the gospel. But first of all, Pilate observes that Jesus was a blameless man. He, he, he observes by looking at Jesus and all of the facts that have been brought together and all of the accusations that have made, Pilate observes. Everybody say he observes. To observe something is to look at it from a distance. It's not really to know, but it's an observation that I make. And Pilate observes rightfully that Jesus was a blameless man. In fact, Pilate, you couldn't be more right because there's never been another man in the history of humanity that was blameless but this man, Jesus, because Jesus was a man that knew no sin. Jesus was a man that never gave in to temptation. Pilate, you are correct. His observation of Jesus led him to understand that not just was Jesus a blameless man, but that Jesus was a righteous man. And finally, his observation of Jesus led him to consider that Jesus was both the king and the Messiah. He, he never really decided upon it, but at least from what he saw, from watching the countenance of Jesus, that even as he is being accused, he stands silent and utters not a word. And Pilate's wife comes in and says, be careful, I had a dream about this man. This isn't just another man. This, this man is a king. This man is who he says he is. And Pilate at least considered that this man is the king and the Messiah. He observed, and when it, yet when it came down to it, when it was time for a commitment to be made, when Pilate stood there with the power to make the decision, you see Pilate had the authority that he could have said, Jesus, you are loosed. I set you at liberty. You can go and do what you want to do. Or Pilate had the liberty to condemn Jesus. And now that Pilate is standing here, even though he has observed and said that Jesus is a blameless man and Jesus is a righteous man and Jesus may well be the king and Messiah, but now that it comes down to it and it's decision time, Pilate found it too difficult, too costly to make the sacrifice to call him king in front of a delirious crowd. Matthew 27 verse 24 says it this way, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water. And what did he do? He washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. If I could read that from the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water. And that act of washing his hands was Pilate saying, I'm not going to be responsible for this decision. I know that he's a blameless man. I know that he's a righteous man. He may well be the Messiah, but I'm in between a rock and a hard place because if I set Jesus loose, the crowd is going to kill me. But if I condemn him to die, then I'm going to be guilty of the blood of an innocent man. So rather than making a decision, I will just wash my hands. Y'all going to help me preach today? I know you might be hung over on turkey, but I'm going to need a little bit of help today. When you are on the verge of setting Jesus at liberty in your life, you had better believe that the crowd is going to get unruly. I've seen people that all of a sudden when they start making a commitment to live for God, things start going crazy in their life, and they think it's a sign that they're doing something wrong. Let me tell you, it's a sign that you are doing something right. The devil doesn't fight what he doesn't fear. If the enemy is coming against you, it means that you're doing something right. Yeah, you come to church, maybe New Year's Eve, and you make some good godly resolutions that, Lord, I'm going to live my life right in 2021. And before you get home, people are hitting you up on Facebook you haven't heard from in 20 years. People that you ran with back in that past, haven't heard from in 20 years. Blasts from your past are sliding in your DMs, sending you unsolicited text messages. The crowd 
Pilate is looking at the crowd. The crowd is starting to get a little bit rowdy. I know that I, I know that I what I should do is set Jesus loose in my life. I know what I should do is give Jesus liberty in my life. But there's a crowd over here. I hear the noise of the crowd, and the crowd is saying, "Crucify him." The crowd is saying, "Don't let Jesus loose in your life." And so I'm between a rock and a hard place. And the easy thing to do is simply wash my hands. Sometimes the crowd isn't people. It's the crowd between your ears. It's the crowd between your two ears. It's your thoughts and considerations. Amen. It's those thoughts that you have that every time you try to take a step forward, the enemy comes in and starts filling your mind with jealousy. And the enemy starts filling your head with envy. And the enemy starts filling your mind with past failure and all the things that you did yesterday. And so instead of setting Jesus loose in your life, you simply wash your hands and you lack the ability to commit. And you won't give him the rule of king and messiah in your life because of what the crowd has to say. I'm preaching to somebody in this building today that God has great things in store for you in 2021, but you better stop listening to the crowd. You better get those thoughts out of your mind. You don't need a bowl and a basin. You need to make a decision. You will never apprehend the will of God as long as you keep washing your hands, as long as you come to church and leave the same way you can. And every time you come to an altar, rather than getting right with God, you wash your hands and say, I'll deal with it next Sunday. So we call for the basin. I didn't realize how much this was going to cost. I didn't realize how much I was going to have to give up. I didn't realize the crowd was going to rise up against me. I didn't realize the sacrifice I was going to have to make if I was going to liberate Jesus and loose him in my life. But you understand, historically, Pilate was an elected official. He got there because of a popular vote. And he realized that the same crowd that was going to vote for him on election day was the same crowd that was unanimously shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate understood, if I lose Jesus, I will not get reelected. I'll be cast out of the palace. I'll be put back on the street. And so I've got to make this decision today. I don't know if whether I side with Jesus or the people. So rather than making a decision, I'll just wash my hands. To loose and liberate Jesus now would create conflict. There would be riots in the street. There would be unrest and unruly crowds to deal with. But it's just easier to wash my hands of this Jesus. To wash his hands means I'm just playing it safe. It's not really condemning Jesus, but it's also not setting Jesus free. No, I'm not kicking Jesus out of my life. I'm, not, I'm just not giving him liberty to move in every area of my life. And I know we'd like to put Pilate in, his, in a history book, but there are people that come to church every Sunday and you bring your basin with you. And the preacher begins to preach to where you're living. And rather than you loosing Jesus to work in your life, you get out of your basin and wash your hands and say, I'm innocent. It was Pilate's attempt to drive in two lanes at the same time. It was Pilate's effort to please God and man at the same time. It was his attempt to get rid of shame and guilt of past sin while still living a life that is dabbling in sin. And I'm amazed at how many times in our humanity we try to do it. We come to church with our basin and we walk down to an altar and ask God to wash the guilt away. But God, don't take the sin away. God, take the guilt, but don't take my pleasure. God, take the shame, but don't take my sin. I can't live without the sin. So instead of getting things right with God, we just bring us another basin unfortunately for many today religion is little more than a basin it's an attempt to remove guilt from our lives you say like Pilate I, I, I went to church I am innocent of the blood of Jesus see you to it I, I, pastor I put my 10% in the plate I'm innocent of the blood of Jesus see you to it 
I said hallelujah when you said you needed somebody to help you preach. I'm innocent of the blood of Jesus. See you to it. Oh, pastor, I'll tune in online. Or maybe I'll get really brave and I'll show up in person. See, I was there. I logged in. I am innocent of the blood of Jesus. See you to it. But to really commit to Jesus would cost me too much. And the words of Pontius Pilate were simply this, I find no fault in him. And as long as you are living with a basin in your walk with God, that's as far as you will get. As long as you are living, oh, you may clap because it's the right time to clap. And you may stand and say amen because that's the right time to do it. You may even walk down to an altar because you've been around the church long enough to know it's the right time to go. But if all you are living with is a basin and you're really not ready to commit, the apex of your walk with God will always simply be, I find no fault in him. The summit and the climax of a relationship that is based upon observation. Pilate made his decision based upon observation. Pilate rightfully deducted that Jesus was an innocent man through his observation. But he refused to bear the cost of being counted with Jesus because while he had observation, he lacked relationship with Jesus. You see, when it came down to it, Sister Sylvia, and he had to make the decision, am I willing to suffer the wrath of the crowd? The answer was no. Why? Because I don't really know him. I just know about him. All right, I may have to dig today. Find no fault in him. Summit of a relationship that is based upon observation will be as it was with Pilate. I find no fault in him. That's it, that's as far as it goes in your walk with God when it's just an observation. When it's just a story that you heard somebody else tell about how Jesus saved them from sin. When it's, when it's just a life that you watch somebody else live when you come to church and your relationship with God is just what you see God doing in the lives of those around you. The best you're going to be able to come up with is I find no fault in him. When your testimony is not really yours but you're living vicariously through somebody else's testimony, the highest you will rise to is I find no fault in him. I don't know about you, but I'm not living off my dad's testimony. I've got my own testimony. I, I remember when Jesus found me. I, I remember where I was. I'm glad you got a story to tell, but I have my own story to tell. I'm glad you know him for yourself, but I know him for myself. I wonder, do you know him, or are you just here to observe somebody else that knows him? Do you know how to praise him, or do you just live off of somebody else's praise? Come on, somebody, it's time for you to get out of observation and move into experience. And while observing, Jesus led Pilate to a place that he found no fault in him. My prayer today is, God, don't let me, that be the apex of my walk with you. I don't want to just be that one who can't find a fault in you. Because if, that, if you can't find a fault, that means that you're looking to find one. Mm. All right, it's gonna be, I'm going to have to plow a little bit today. It's all right, I brought my shovel and my big boy pants, so I'm ready to plow a little bit. If you read the word of God looking to find error in the scripture, come on, then that's a sign that you are living off of observation. I don't read the word of God looking to find error. I, look to re I read the word of God looking to find confirmation. I'm not browsing through the scripture looking for contradiction. I'm browsing through looking for confirmation. I knew he would do what he said he would do. I knew he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, it's time to get out of observation and move into relationship. I'm not here today to put Jesus on trial. It's not about whether or not I find fault in him. not here today 
The best hope that I have walking out of these doors today is, well, good, I didn't find anything wrong in the service today. I think the music team, all the, all the songs they sang were theologically sound. I think the preacher was good. He was Bible-based, and his, you know, that one story he shared was a little, you know, a little bit out there. But, but overall, I find no fault. That is a lame way to live for God. That is a basin walk with God. I'm not here today to find no fault in him. I'm here today to find favor in him. I came to church today to give God praise. I came today to lift up his holy name. I came today to glorify and magnify him. Come on, I'm not here today to observe what you're doing. Thank God for your testimony. It adds to my testimony. And when all of our testimonies come together, God is glorified. But if you didn't have a testimony, I've still got one. And if you don't believe that he is good, I already know that he is. I'm not here today to live off of your testimony. I'm here today to tell you I've already experienced Jesus. Perhaps this is why Paul emphatically proclaim to the church at Philippi that I may know him, that I may know him because Pilate, you'll never get anywhere in the relationship with God if it's only through observation, if it's just from your wife's dream that she had last night, if it's just from watching Jesus from a distance, Pilate, the only way that you can get rid of the basin and stand with Jesus when the crowd says crucify is you've got to know him. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his. Would you raise your hands with me right now? That I may know him. Come on, somebody in this house today, you brought your basin with you. Place that thing under your seat today. Come on, I'm not here today to ask you whether or not you find fault in him. I'm asking you today to press a little bit further and find favor in him. I'm asking somebody today to move beyond observation and move into experience. Oh, that I might know him. Come on, you've been through some things this year. I know you have. That's the fellowship of his suffering. I know you've lost some things this year. That's being made conformable unto his death. This isn't just somebody else's story any longer. It's your story. Come on, I'm not just here today to not find fault. I'm here today because I found favor. If anybody could raise your hands and say, Pastor, I'm here today to find favor. Not, not with Pastor. Not, not with Sister Staten. Not with leadership. I'm here to find favor with him. Come on, there's a, he's a good God. He's a good God. I've been through some things, but he's still, he's still on the throne. He's never failed me. He's a good God. Hallelujah. Come on, stop washing your hands. It's not time. Come on, I know there's so many religious people today that are washing their hands. COVID came along, and they walked away from God. I'm telling you today, this is not that hour. It's time for somebody to stand and say, God, I'll die with you. That's what knowing him will do. If I know about you today and they walk in here, if I just have heard about you through the grapevine, and they walk in here today and say, we're going to condemn that person to death. Unless, of course, you object. And then in that case, we'll take you with them. Well, if I just know about you, I'm going to say, hey, go ahead. I mean, I've heard good things about him, but, I don't, you know, ain't no skin off my back here. I'll help you. But when you know him. When you know him, come on, when the bill collector was calling and all of a sudden that check came in the mailbox that you still have no idea where it came from, that's my Jesus, that's not something I heard about. When the doctor said there's no way they're going to walk out of this hospital and a week later you got up and walked out of that room, I know him. This isn't just a story to me, it's an experience, I know him. You're not taking Jesus unless you take me with him. You're not taking this innocent man. I don't need a basin. I made up my mind. I know who I... 
Mark 15, 5, tell us that Pilate even marveled at Jesus. We think that marveling means commitment. It doesn't. Crowds marvel. Five loaves and two fishes are broken, and it's the same crowd that will cry crucify him when Jesus stands trial. Summary of Pilate, the washing of his hands and the statement, I find no fault, were Pilate's attempt to make clear to Jesus, I'm in a tough spot, and it's not personal. Jesus, it's not personal, you know. I mean, I just met this girl, you know, man, Jesus, I mean, it's not personal. I, I, mean, I just got this job, this new job, this chance to make so much more money if I just work on something. It's not personal, Jesus. I just don't know if I'm ready for that kind of cost. So I'll just make sure Jesus knows that it isn't personal. But you see, Pontius Pilate, it is personal. Because nobody else in the room has the authority to give Jesus liberty but you. You're the only one, and I say to you, child of God, the pastor cannot give God liberty in your life. Your grandma can't give God liberty in your life. The preacher can't give it. Your mama can't give it. Your brother can't give it. Your sister can't give it. Your aunt can't give it. Your cousin can't give it. You are the only one. You are the one that right now could say, that's it. I'll stand with Jesus. That's it. I'll die with Jesus. Whatever it costs me, I'm willing to pay the price. I find favor. Why don't you stand right now and say, I'm going to stand with Jesus. I don't care what other opportunity comes my way. I will stand You're the only one. Duke, mom can't do it for you. Mama Bush couldn't do it for you. All the prayers she prayed still can't do it. Duke, you're the only one that can give Jesus liberty to work in your life. Khadijah, pastor can't do it for you. Your brother can't do it for you. Mama can't do it for you. You're the only one. Come on, pilot, what will it be? What will it be? Will you walk out of this building having washed your hands one more time, making sure that Jesus knows it's not personal? Or will you look the crowd in the eye and say, if I die, so be it. But I cannot condemn this man. It is, it is personal. It's personal. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you must decide for you. You must. I don't, I don't care if the Apostle Paul were your pastor. He couldn't do it for you. It's personal. You wash your hands Sunday after Sunday and walk back out that door to the same old sin. Same old crowd screaming in our ears. It costs too much. Put Jesus on trial once again. You can be seated. I'm almost finished. So let's move to the second figure. Herod. Luke chapter 23, verse 8. The first line we'd think Herod was apostolic before apostolic was even a thing. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. Cue the choir. Brother Andre, get on the organ and cue the drums. Let's go. We're going to have a shout down. Herod was glad when he saw Jesus. Amen. Come on. If you can, if you can do a shout and step, now is your opportunity. When Herod saw Jesus, again, a relationship based upon observation. The Bible says he was exceeding glad. And exceeding is a word that simply describes overflowing. It, it's, it describes an emotion that is overflowing uncontainable emotion. Amen. I, I, I saw Truett here, Christmas Eve service, and that was exceeding joy about Christmas. I told my wife, man, I wish I could have that, just a little bit of what Truett felt. Remember that excitement, man, just can't wait for Christmas. You know, you get up at four in the morning. I guarantee you Truett didn't sleep till eight o'clock. He was up early. No other day of the year but that day. I remember that. That's exceeding joy. All right, mom and dad, get up. Now, we're, we're past that a little bit. We slept till eight o'clock Sunday or uh, Christmas morning. But I remember when it wasn't that way, right? The, the rooster next door wasn't even thinking about waking up yet. My daughters were like, hey, what's the holdup? Well, the holdup is I just went to sleep from putting all your bicycles and beds together. I'm trying to get a little bit of sleep. But, but that's exceeding joy. 
It bubbles over. You can't contain it. And Herod, when he saw Jesus, it just, I don't know what it was. I don't know if tears began to run down his face. I don't know if, if Herod got out and did a James Wilson, Wilson two-step. I don't know what he did. But, but whatever it was, Herod could not contain it. Herod's joy was such he couldn't control it and he couldn't even conceal it. It could not be hidden. His joy and gladness at the appearance of Jesus is overwhelming. But let's read on. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him. Observation. I've heard a lot about Jesus. I've heard. I've heard. I've heard. I've heard stories of what Jesus can do. And hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. He was hoping for not what I can give to Jesus. See, there is a, a consumer mentality when we come to church, when it's about what can I get from Jesus? What will Jesus give to me? Hey, man, pastor, whoever the praise team is, you better sing one of my favorite songs or I'm not worshiping today. Hey, man, pastor, you better preach a good sermon today or you're not getting an amen. That is a consumer mentality. We come to church seeing what we can get out of Jesus. And can I tell you, the end result for here, it is much like the same end result that is for us. Many times we walk out of church disappointed because we didn't come to give what Jesus could receive. We come to get from Jesus what we think we need to receive. He hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned, here it is, then he questioned him many, many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. Anybody ever felt that? Oh, I'm the only one, all right. I, I, I didn't have that in my notes that it was going to get awkward there. There are places that I have it written in going to get awkward. That wasn't one of them. How many of you felt like that? Jesus, you ask him many things and you get nothing. No response. His gladness that came with seeing Jesus was not out of a revelation. He wasn't excited to see Jesus because he had heard he was the king of kings. Not because he had heard he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It was none of that. The reason he was excited to see Jesus, because he was anticipating what true it was, anticipating Christmas morning. What am I about to get? And when you're six and seven, that's okay. But when you're Herod, that's not cool. He questioned him in many words. And Jesus, Herod never got one word back from Jesus. Jesus never met his expectations. Read two verses later. The same Herod that couldn't even hide his enthusiasm. Like a five-year-old jumping out of bed on Christmas morning. Oh, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Then Jesus answers him nothing. And now what is, what's happening? Then Herod and his soldiers begin mocking and ridiculing Jesus. You see, it turns like that in a moment. When you are at an observation relationship with Jesus, when Jesus doesn't give you what you want, what was praise turns into mocking. What was worship turns into ridiculing. That's an observation relationship. But you've got to be like Job. This is a mature walk with God. And though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If you don't do anything else for me, you've already done enough. I trust you. I serve you. Honesty. Has anybody ever struggled with disappointment in your walk with God? If I could replicate it any other way, I'll get around too, I would. If, if you're here today and you say, no, I never have, well, I need to get, you need to come and get the microphone, or you need to stop lying, one or two. Probably the second one. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? Because the Bible says his ways are higher than our thoughts. As the heavens are above the earth, so are, and you ain't there yet. You might think, oh, I'm all that in a bag of chips. I mean, I mean, in my prayer time, I, I, I levitate a little bit, you know. Well, maybe you do, but after you're done, you come back down and walk like the rest of us. We struggle with disappointment because we don't think on his level. 
We struggle with disappointment because we don't always understand his ways. There are times that just like Herod, that God doesn't answer us and we, we begin to deal with disappointment. Hey, every one of us in this room have been there. Maybe we're there right now. God, what in the world is going on in 2020? I, did, are you still up there? Do you hear us? Do you, do you hear the church? We're praying. We're asking for you to move. But now is where it really comes down to a foundation. It's not about what I know. It's about who I know. This is not just an observation. I trust him. I trust him. If 21 is worse than 20, I still trust him. Are you brave enough to say that? If 2021 is as bad or worse than 2020, I still trust that he's God. And I still trust that he is in control. I'm not just an observer of Jesus. I know him. I've experienced him. I know he's never failed me yet. He's always there when I need him. And his word tells me he is working all things. Somebody shout all things. He is working all things together for the good to them that love God and to them that are the called according to his purpose. But because Herod was at an observation level of relationship with Jesus, when Jesus didn't respond to him, after he asked and asked and asked and asked and asked, and Jesus looked at him with a blank look on his face, Herod flipped the script and began to mock Jesus. He began to ridicule him. He said, you must not understand who I am. I've got the power to put you on that cross or to loose you. And Jesus said, I know exactly who you are. Jesus knows exactly who you are and who I am. And that right now in this building you have the power to loose Jesus in your life or you have the power to put him back on that tree. The Bible says we crucify our Lord once again. I wonder is there somebody in this room that would make a declaration? God, I don't understand all of your ways. You haven't given me the answers, but I trust you. That's shallow. We're getting beyond an observation level right now. I wonder, do you really trust him? Have you experienced him enough to know he's working all things together for your good? Herod had certain expectations that had no foundation in Revelation. It was never about knowing Jesus for Herod. It was always about getting from Jesus. To many, Jesus is the glorified bubblegum machine. As long as he keeps spitting out blessings and giving me what I want. But the moment I turn the machine with the quarter in it, nothing comes out. I got no time for that kind of Jesus. I put my quarter in. I did my part. Now it's time for you to live up to your part. And Herod turned praise into mocking. And while Pilate symbolizes a lack of commitment, an unwillingness to grant Jesus liberty in our lives because of what it will cost us, because of what we will have to give, Herod represents our unwillingness to grant Jesus liberty in our lives because of disappointment or because of what we didn't get. For Pilate is a realization, this is what I'm going to have to give. Here it is a realization I'm not going to get everything I want to get. And here is the principle of the diabolical duo of Pilate and Herod. Often our struggles, we do struggle with both. We do. Everyone in this building, again, I'm not asking, I'm telling you. I'm your pastor. I know you guys. I watch you from week to week. And you're, you're a good bunch overall, but you struggle. And you've watched me long enough to know I struggle. I struggle sometimes in my commitment. I struggle sometimes in the question, am I willing, am I really willing to pay the price it's going to take to be with Jesus? When the crowd starts crying, crucify, am I really willing to give everything it's going to take? Come on, everybody in this building, we've struggled in commitment. And we've had seasons where we struggle in disappointment. And it's okay, it's okay to struggle sometimes. Are you supposed to say that? Too late, I already did and I'm not taking it back. 
in the building struggle? Ever, anybody? Anybody training? Ever struggle with commitment? Oh, God, I realize what this is going to cost me. Anybody ever struggle with disappointment? God, where are you at? feel like you're silent right now when I need to hear your voice the most. It feels like you're silent. And here is the principle. There will be seasons that we struggle with commitment. And there will be seasons that we struggle with disappointment. That is human. Again, as the scripture said in Isaiah, even John the Baptist, the great forerunner of Jesus, one of the greatest men who ever Jesus pointed to John the Baptist and said, that's a great guy. But even John the Baptist, one of the greatest ministries to ever touch down on planet earth, at the end point of John's ministry, he's dealing with disappointment. The Bible says in Matthew 11, now when John heard in the prison, the works of Christ, he sent two disciples and said unto Jesus, the two disciples, this is what John said, go ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you the Messiah or should I look for another one? Hey, I'm in prison right now. This isn't the way I expected this thing to end up. I thought it was going to be miraculous. I thought I was going to share in your glory, but I'm in prison. Jesus looked at those disciples and said, go and tell John that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the... But, 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 blessed is he who shall ever shall not be offended. If John the Baptist could suffer disappointment, don't tell me today your shoe leather is so anointed you don't deal with it. We've all been there. We've struggled with disappointment. We've struggled with commitment. Amen. There's different seasons in our lives when we go through them. But if those two things ever get together. Herod and Pilate ever get in the same room together, they ever make a commitment together, if they ever, if that lack of commitment, or I'm not willing to pay the price any longer, and that disappointment, I just feel like God has let me, if they ever come together, I'm going to tell you that same day you will crucify Jesus. Been there where my commitment vacillated. Kind of got distracted by things in life, by the things of this world. And Jesus became kind of more of an observation and less of experience. But as long, here's what I've learned. As long as Herod is not around in those seasons, I can make it through that. As long as I still trust that God is in control. As long as I still trust. I may not be as committed as I need to be, but I still know that God has got everything in, in his hands. He's working everything out for my good. I can make it through that season. And conversely, if I'm dealing with disappointment and things didn't go the way I thought they would, and I wonder, God, why are you silent in my life? But guess what? While there may be a Herod in my life, Pilate is not anywhere near because I trust him. I'm committed. I don't need a basin. I made up my mind a long time ago. I will serve the Lord. Amen. For God I live and for God I die. The only way to ensure that Pilate and Herod don't become friends and that the plan and the purpose of God for your life is not crucified is you must move beyond an observation relationship. I, I pray for some of our young people because I, I watch in the, the, the lackadaisical way you come to church. You come as if God will always be there. As if the church is just something you can take for granted. You walk in and kind of find your comfortable seat and slouch down. You don't listen to the preacher when he's preaching. I'm not angry with you right now. I'm concerned for you because you're one, one conversation of Pilate and Herod in your life from crucifying Jesus. Because you don't have your own story. You're living on an observation. You're living on what God did for mom and dad. But you have no, no stories of what he's done for you. I'm going to tell you where you're going to find your story. Someone, well, I need to leave the church then so I can get my story. No, you need to run to an altar. The best story is not God saved me from drugs and alcohol. The best stories are not God healed me from AIDS and HIV. The best stories are God kept me from any of that mess. God kept me in an altar. God kept me from hurt. God kept me from pain. 
You got to get your own story. Pilate, you better get out of the palace. Herod, you better get out of my house. I'm not just going to be an observer. I'm going to experience Jesus. Stand with me. Eyes closed. That I may know him. The day that Pilate and Herod became friends, that same day they crucified Jesus. Pilate and Herod both signed off on it. Uh, God, our approval, take him away. Scourge him. Put that spear in his side. Put the thorns on his head. Drive the nails into his hands and feet. After all, he wouldn't talk when I needed him. He wanted me to do something that I couldn't do. I wasn't ready to pay that price, so I don't care. Do with him what you will. It's not personal, Jesus. It is personal. It is personal. Speaking to somebody in this building that Pilate and Herod are in the same room right now in your life. They're, they're one conversation away. They're moving toward the same punch bowl where they're going to meet up and there's going to be a conversation had and they're going to find some commonality. And if you're not careful, if you don't do something drastic right now, Pilate and Herod the same day will become friends. I plead with every teenager in this room that you're living off the coattails of dad's salvation. And you're living off of mom's story, how God rescued her from, from destruction. The first thing I would do is not walk out that door. I'd run down to this altar and say, God, that I might know you. Jesus, that I might know you in the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. I need to know you. Observation isn't going to do it if I'm going to make it in this season. I've got to know you. final sermon of 2020 I've tried to preach to you with everything I've had in me every, every ounce of conviction every ounce of passion that I can preach but now Pilate the ball's in your court call for the basin you can, you can call for the basin come back again next Sunday and maybe Jesus will still be here Herod I know, I know you're disappointed I know you're disappointed because things haven't gone the way that you thought you would. And you can send Jesus off to be scourged and crucified if that's what you choose to do. But the power is in your hands. I want to open this altar right now. I pray every teenager, every 23 and under would run to this altar right now. Observation won't do it. Come on, I'm asking our younger generation to run down to this altar and say, Pilate, Pilate, you've got to get out of the palace. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with the observation. I'm not satisfied. I know we've got the Bush family here, and you guys have a great testimony of Elder and Sister Bush. What great testimony, but their testimony will not save you. You've got to have your own experience with God. looking. I'm going to start calling names if y'all don't get down here. I think I won't do it. I will. I promise you I will. I got one chance. I got one chance today. I've got one opportunity to plead with somebody because I'm watching from a distance. I'm watching Pilate and Herod are in the same room in your lives and I know if they ever get together we've lost you. My parents you can come too. Moms and dads, grandpas, aunts, uncles. I think it'd be a good time for everybody to walk into this altar. I'm not going into 2021 with Pilate and Herod in the same room. Yes, yes, my commitment has been tested in 21 or 20. It has. Yours has. If you've got any sense of faith and hope, it's been tested. But I'm still here. I've dealt with disappointment in 2020, but thank God it's been at different seasons. They've never been in the same room at the same time.
Come on, somebody right now, you're dealing with a pilot in your life. You need to chase pilot out of your world. You need to chase pilot out of your life. tell you what it's going to cost you. Jesus said if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. It's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to be willing to lay down your life if you're going to follow Jesus. Harry, you got to go. Yes, I've been disappointed. Serve the Lord. Not everything's going the way I thought it to would, but I will serve you, you Jesus. I live to worship you. I live, I live to worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. Do I?
together. Here's what I want us to pray. Jesus, when he called his disciples to follow him, he, he didn't hide, he didn't put in small print somewhere that there's going to be a cross involved. He didn't put it down in the footnotes somewhere with some asterisk kind of hidden away in the print. He told him up front, if any man will follow me, he's got to take up his cross. Church serving God 2,000 years later is to say it's going to cost you everything. You will never be able to fully live for God unless you've been able to commit that you will die for Him. Hopefully, that doesn't mean that, you know, physically you've got to die. I don't, I mean, one day we're all going to go that way. Y'all know that, right? Unless the rapture comes, we're all going to, that's going to happen. Okay? Everybody good with that? Everybody agree? But until you make up your mind, God, if it comes down to it and the crowd is crying, crucify him, and I'm the only thing standing between you and the crowd, I will stand with you, Jesus. I'm choosing you over the crowd. I'm choosing you over popular opinion. I'm choosing you over every other voice in this world. I'm choosing you. I want us to bow our heads and I want us to pray and I want us to sing the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray over this congregation today. Lord, we're not perfect. We're humanity. There are times where Pilate makes it into the courtroom of our life. and We struggle in commitment. We're not sure if we're really ready to pay the price of what is being asked of us. That's our humanity. Even in the garden, the humanity of Christ had to struggle with that question. Lord, there are other times that Herod makes his way into the courtroom. We struggle with disappointment in our humanity because your ways are so much higher. And I've learned that, God, if I just stand back and wait, it's all going to make sense. If I wait, I know, I know, but, God, in the moment, I don't understand it, so I struggle with disappointment. But, Lord, what I feel in this season, 2020, the enemy has tried to bring Herod and Pilate into the same room in the lives of the church, in the lives of so many people of God who are on the right pathway pursuing potential God is about to do wonderful things in the church I'm telling you God is about to let the church shine in this hour like we've never seen before but you have the power right now whether or not you will lose Jesus to be free in your life to do what he wants to do or whether you will condemn him so I'm asking us to pray just a prayer of commitment that I have decided not going to be an observer. Teenagers, I'm not living off of dad and mom's testimony. And we've got some great testimonies in this room. Sylvia family, you know mom and dad's testimony. Katie, you've got your own. I've been around for some of it. Maddie, you've got your own. I've been around. Eric and Claire, you've got your own. I've watched it develop. Amen. Herbie, you're, you're developing your own. I know you've watched mom make it through some tough stuff. You've watched mom be faithful. Man, what a powerful woman of God your mother is. But you can't live off of that. You've got to have your own experience. Simpkin kids, I remember when dad and mom were just, I wasn't much older than them, but they were just kind of struggling early 20s, trying to make some decisions, maybe late teens even. And God got a hold of them and turned their lives around. And now they're powerful leaders in this church. But their testimony can't save you. So with hands raised, I have decided to follow Jesus. JB, you got a great heritage. Great testimony been handed down to you, Duke. All y'all. Mama Bush. This church built on the foundation of Mama Bush prayers. But you got to get your own prayers. Because the basin is coming your way. It's, you're going to have the chance to say, ah, it's not personal. It is. 
and I have decided. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you.